Hello and welcome to All for Animals. I'm your host, Rachel, and today we've got Dr. Natalie Feynman on the show today, and she's going to talk about what exactly constitutes a medical emergency for your dog or cat and what might be able to wait until your regular primary veterinarian is open and can book a a normal appointment for you. This is an issue that even I as a groomer have come come across with my clients, with my own personal pets and everything. So I feel like a little bit of education on this can go a long way. So everyone, please join me in welcoming Dr. Natalie Feynman on the show. Welcome to All for Animals, everybody. I'm your host, Rachel, and I'm very happy to introduce you to Dr. Natalie Feynman, DVM. (laughs) And she's here today to talk to us about what exactly constitutes a veterinary emergency with your dog or cat. So we're talking anytime there's something medical going on. Is it going to be an emergency or can it wait for your regular veterinarian? So welcome to the show, Natalie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and it's great to meet you, Rachel. Thank you and you as well. All right. So would you like to tell the listeners and me a little bit more about yourself? Sure, absolutely. So I uh, graduated from veterinary school in 1991 at the age of 23, I think I was. Yeah, I got into vet school when I was 19. Uh, Surprise. I was not expecting them to let me in. In fact, when I went to the interview, I thought I was just doing it for practice because I didn't think it was real. And surprise, <laughs> I got the acceptance letter. So yeah, I graduated at 23. That was from Kansas State University. And first thing I did was move the heck out of Kansas and down to someplace warm. Uh, so I'm now in Florida. And um, I the, the first thing I did straight out of vet school was to dive headfirst into emergency medicine. Um, I've always been nocturnal for one thing, my poor mother, I feel so bad for her. Um, so I really was kind of attracted to the idea of working nights, not so much the weekends and holidays, but definitely working nights. But also I was a little bit of an adrenaline junkie. You know, I just, I liked the, the impact of being able to make an immediate difference in the life of a pet and, and in that pet's owner. And, uh, I just, I, I, I craved the excitement. It was very fast paced, but that was something that, oh, as the years went by, it just got increasingly draining, increasingly stressful. You know, as you get older, your body doesn't bounce back as well. Your brain doesn't deal with the sleep deprivation as well. Uh, so after only 24 years in the ER, I was uh, kind of forced to choose my health and my quality of life over being an adrenaline junkie. So sure. I- I uh, transitioned into general practice, and I have been there ever since. And in um, in 2020, right around the time that that COVID was really kind of shutting mm-hmm. everything down, I uh, was it was kind of at a crisis point, you know, trying to decide what I really want to be when I grow up, what I want to do with the rest <laughs> of my life, because I, I I didn't really think I was going to be able to keep doing what I had been doing for the previous 33 years for the next 33. And um, I had the most incredible transformational experience with a life coach. And I decided that that was my vision for the future. I could not imagine a better way to spend the rest of my life than to bring that kind of transformation, that kind of optimism, that kind of empowerment to as many people as I possibly could. And specifically 
to veterinarians because this is such a demanding high stress profession. Uh, I don't know if your listeners are aware, there is a very high rate of depression, anxiety, and suicide. There are huge numbers of veterinarians leaving the industry and it's, it's becoming a crisis. So I'm, I'm trying to bring the skills that I have learned through my coach training to not only just to, to private individuals, but also to veterinarians and the veterinary industry to make it a better place, a more sustainable place to be. So, so you're wearing many hats. That's incredible. Yes, indeed. I'm juggling. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. And I'm always yeah. happy to meet another person who advocates for that whole concept of you got to take care of yourself when you're doing such emotionally draining work. Absolutely. And that's something that is such a common trait with, with uh, medical providers, not just veterinarians, but human mm-hmm. healthcare providers. We give to others so, so much that we exhaust ourselves. We, we Absolutely. put ourselves last over and over and over again. And when you do that for days, weeks, years, decades, like I did, uh, it, it's not sustainable. And there, there's a lot of the, this is a lot of what goes into why these professions are so draining why they're so stressful and why some people get to such a crisis point that they either have to leave or God forbid they, they do harm to themselves or they end up on medication for the rest of their lives because it is, it is unsustainable at a certain point, but we are so trained to never think of ourselves first and to give everything we have to other people. Um, I think it speaks volumes to the people, the kinds of people that go into any animal related fields, most of us, we're kind of like hardwired into that caregiver role. It's really hard to turn that off. Absolutely. That's what draws us to these professions because we care, because we want to give, we want to make a difference. And um, when you give too much, you you end up depleting yourself and then you can't give anything to anybody. Absolutely. that's, That's what I see as what I want to be when I grow up is somebody that helps people to put the oxygen mask on themselves so that they can be there as long as possible for the people who need them. Fantastic. And very inspiring. Thank you. All right. So I'm going to make sure at the end of the episode uh, to have you plug your various social medias and however the listeners can find you, because I'm sure you are just a font of resources for anybody (laughs) in need. And um, so I'll make sure to leave that at the end. So anybody that would like to find it can. And then would you like to just jump right on into some imaginary veterinary scenarios? Let's do it. All um, right. So a flashback to my ER years. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So I'm a mobile dog groomer. I see a lot of senior and otherwise special needs pets on a daily basis. And sometimes I'm absolutely flabbergasted by the things that people aren't uh, having treated right away. And then I'm also wondering, you know, I get some stories where people have gone to the ER for something that I'm kind of not sure if that necessarily had to be seen right that second. So I figured this is kind of a good jumping off point for the most average uh, pet owners to know just basically what might need to go to the doctor right away. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. So one of the ones that I, <laughs> I get asked about all the time is that reverse sneezing where they're like, <laughs> like sniffling and honking. Oh <laughs> gosh. I'm laughing because this has been the cause of more unnecessary 3am panicked visits to the ER than almost <laughs> anything else I can think of. Other okay. than the imaginary tick that's actually a nipple that nobody ever noticed before. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering, have you uh, listened to our first animal or uh, our first listener stories episode where I actually had a story just like that? Oh, I think everybody a has a story like that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I had an owner that was telling me she'd been like yanking on this poor dog's nipple for days. Yep. And I had to inform her that boy dogs also have nipples. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. And it's amazing how you can own an animal for so many years and never notice that it has a nipple there. <laughs> yes. Well, and I think people are also just generally confounded by the number of them because it's it can be different for every dog or cat, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Definitely more than two. <laughs> yeah. It can be more than two. And then some of them will have only like six and then others will have 10. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you, I think a lot of it stems from the pet owner, not necessarily knowing that sometimes the nipples go just on the belly, on the hairless part for the dog. And then others will go all the way up to the armpit. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. Absolutely. All right. And if it doesn't have legs, then it's probably not a tick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it should be shiny too. You know, when they're all engorged, they're, they're pretty shiny. Look, they almost they look are. Like yeah. But if, if they just attach, you know, they, yeah. they just look like little flat tiddlywinks. Like I can understand how people might mistake it for a skin tag or something yeah. like that. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, they, they all have legs. <laughs> So is a tick ever a medical or a veterinary emergency? Is that something people would need to come in for? Um, you know, there's never a clear yes or no answer. If it's a solitary tick or a couple of ticks and, you know, the animal's not expressing any weakness or any other kind of distress, then you can just take a pair of tweezers and gently detach the tick and then go and get some tick prevention for your pet. But Having said that, I have se I have seen, especially I, I worked ER in Miami for several years and some animals in, in that part of town don't always get the most proactive medical care. Um, I've, I've seen pets that had so many ticks attached to them that they were, they were literally anemic and needed a blood transfusion because the ticks sure. suck so much blood out of them. There's also a, a little bit less of a common situation. There is a condition called tick paralysis where some ticks will secrete a neurotoxin that will actually cause the pet to develop muscle weakness and eventually become paralyzed. Is that um, a whole that body is, thing or is it just yes, where the if, tick has bitten? No, it, it usually starts at the back end and works its way forward. But if, oh. if there's no intervention, then they will fear, they, they could potentially actually lose the ability to breathe. Gotcha. So okay. That, that is an emergency. The good news is number one, that's very, very uncommon. Number two, as soon as you remove the tick that's secreting the toxin, they start to improve immediately. Oh, wonderful. Is it completely reversible then? Yes. Awesome. Yes. Okay. Even better. Yeah. <laughs> we like reversible things. Yes. <laughs> so my next, um, I guess imaginary scenario is one that I've personally experienced with several of my, my pets. Uh, and that's a seizure. Mm -hmm. 
So it, we have, we currently have a little mixed breed dog sitting right next to me, uh, Logan. He has seizures. He's on medication for it a few times a day and he hasn't had one in, I want to say a little over a year now, knock on wood. <laughs> Great, yeah. So uh, what do you recommend if someone has a pet who's suddenly experiencing a seizure? Yeah. So if it's a first time seizure, I would always recommend that pet should be taken to the emergency clinic because there, there's different things that can cause seizures and some of them are more urgent than others. Sure. So by far the most common cause of seizures in any young dog is epilepsy. Dogs can <laughs> have epilepsy just like people do. And so a seizure that is only just a few minutes long is not necessarily an emergency in and of itself, but you want to make sure that you know that that's what it is because God forbid, if your dog got into some sort of a toxin or, or there's some other cause, you don't want to just blow it off and then, and then regret it later if, if something bad happens. Um, having said that, so epilepsy is, is usually very manageable. Um, as you know already, they yep. usually respond very well to medication, but there can be breakthrough seizures. Mm -hmm. And so if you have multiple seizures within the same day, like, so now I'm talking about if your dog's been diagnosed, it's on medication, it's been well-regulated sure. and all of a sudden you're starting to see some breakthrough seizures. So if you're, if you're seeing multiple seizures in the same day, or if any one seizure lasts longer than 10 minutes, doesn't stop by itself, or if it is followed. So there's, there's a period after a seizure called the post-ictal period where they're mm -hmm. not seizing anymore, but they're just not right yet. They're still, the brain is kind of still recovering. And a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of times they'll, they'll pace, they'll pant, they'll act like they don't know where they are. Um, sometimes they can exhibit aggressive behavior during this period and they could, they could potentially be dangerous to the family that they live with. Yeah. So that's kind of a deal breaker. If you see aggressive behavior after a seizure, multiple seizures in the same day, um, or any one seizure that lasts longer than 10 minutes, because that can drive the body temperature up and they can essentially have a heat stroke, which can be fatal. Mm -hmm. So those require immediate intervention. If you live in Southeast Florida and potentially some other warm parts of the country where we have these toxic bufo toads, uh, if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with that where you live, but here in Florida, we have these toads, they're invasive, but they're everywhere. Um, and they always come out after it's been raining or if you, if you live near a body of water, um, they're always around and they secrete a toxin from their skin that's absorbed directly from the membranes of the mouth and can cause the pet to start having seizures within 15 oh. minutes. Um, okay. That also needs immediate attention. So if your dog has been outside within the previous 10, 15 minutes, and you're seeing a seizure, or if you even just start seeing weird behavior, drooling, getting wobbly, if you if you lift the lip and look at the gums, typically if it, if it's a bufo poisoning, the gums will be brick red just because they're oh. so inflamed. Okay. And so on the way to the veterinarian, whatever whether it's the emergency clinic or if your vet's open the first thing you need to do is to remove as much of that toxin from the mouth as possible to prevent the dog from absorbing more. So I, okay. I always tell people take a soaking wet paper towel, wipe out the inside of their lips. Um, we used to tell people to flush the mouth with a hose or a turkey baste or something like that, but you don't want the dog to accidentally inhale the water into the mm -hmm. lungs. So nose down, wipe out the inside of the mouth, soaking, dripping wet paper towel or, so, or a washcloth or something like that, and then get in the car and head to the vet right away. The sooner okay. you get the toxin out, the faster they start to clear it from their body. Okay. 
And is that a, a reversible thing as well? If you, if you intervene before they actually start to have, so that at, at higher doses or for longer duration, they can actually have damage to the heart. Okay. And there's for pretty much any uh, medical condition under the sun there, there's kind of a point where you can intervene early and it's reversible, but you cross a, a point of no return. And then after that, there's really nothing that you can do. So there's sure. like a spectrum you okay. know, from, from early and mild all the way to it's way too late. So there, there comes a point where if they've been seizing for too long, their body temperature has gone up past 107 degrees, or they're starting to have irregular heart rhythm. Um, there, there can come a point where there can actually be permanent brain damage or death. So gotcha. early intervention is very, very important. Okay. Whew, that's really scary. And that was not one that I had heard of before. Yeah, well, they're, they're only in very isolated parts of like the, the deep South where it's always hot. I don't know. Gotcha. I think they might be in Texas, but they're, they're, they're in South Florida, but only, I believe, South of Orlando. So oh, if okay. you don't live in an area where there's a lot of toads, then you would have no reason to know about that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, good to know because we're in yeah. Illinois. So thankfully we don't yeah. have to worry about that. But there's also, you know, when we're still talking about seizures, there are plants that can be toxic. Um, for example, um, uh, there's also like people don't think anything about giving like human food and treats and stuff like that mm-hmm. to their pets. Um, there are like breath mints, gums, candies, and things that are sweetened with an artificial sweetener called xylitol. And we handle that fine. If you give that to a dog, it'll crash their blood sugar and they will start having seizures. They can die from that. Okay. Um, so again, that's why I said, if you don't know for a fact, Hey, my dog's epileptic. I know I've been through this. It's just, you know, it's a two minute seizure and then we're done. That's probably not an emergency, but if you don't know what's going on, you don't know why the dog is having a seizure, bring it immediately to the closest veterinarian. Always best to have an idea of why it's happening then. Yeah. All right. Perfect. That's kind of what I've always recommended for my clients as a groomer as well, that like, you know, they've asked for some reason, they seem to think I'm a vet sometimes. And they'll ask me, oh, uh, my dog had a seizure the other day. Do you think I need to take it to the vet right away? I'm like, yeah, uh, you should thing. have. <laughs> yeah. If this has never happened before, then definitely. You know, it's amazing to me how many people are so much more willing to take veterinary advice from a groomer, from the checkout girl at PetSmart, from their <laughs> neighbor who's had pets their whole life, but they don't come to a veterinarian. I don't understand I feel like that. Sometimes, I think sometimes it comes from a place where they're worried that it's going to be too expensive. And then sometimes I feel like people think they're going to be judged for being concerned over nothing or something. And as far as I'm concerned, I always say I'd rather be judged for being concerned over nothing than not you know, doing what needed. <laughs> I, I tell you, I would 100% rather have somebody that comes in 100 times because they're concerned and it's a false alarm than have somebody not come in for something that was legitimately urgent and they didn't feel that it was important enough. Absolutely. That's always my motto. And I mean, I'm definitely known around town as the groomer that's always sending people to the vet. Anytime I see something that's even a little bit off, I'm like, this could probably use a vet visit. And I'll tell them, you know, it's not necessarily get them in right this second. Right. But, you know, the next time they're going in for a checkup, it wouldn't be a bad idea kind of thing. (laughs) And if you're not sure, I mean, 
it doesn't cost any money to pick up a phone and call and just ask a yeah. question. Most of the Absolutely. time, I would say at least 75% of the time, we could probably set your fears to rest over the phone and you probably don't have to come in. But That's for the, 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 the sneezing. The <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. You can call the vet and ask them and they'll be able to hear the <laughs> the reverse sneeze and tell you, ah, no, they're good. <laughs> yeah. All right. So my next one is always, at least I always thought, was always an immediate trip to the ER. And that is anytime your pet is having trouble breathing. Yes. With the single exception of reverse sneezing, because yeah. it looks like the pet is having trouble breathing. It. I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've had people come in in a panic and the dog is like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wagging their tail and they're like what we went for a ride in the car and the owner's like <laughs> freaking out but any any trouble breathing is not to be it do not treat that as a wait and see because lungs are kind of important breathing is very important <laughs> any Just a any yeah and and whether it's a dog or a cat any trouble breathing is to be treated as a life and death emergency until proven otherwise now you brought up cats and you uh, sparked my curiosity here because uh, I don't usually work with cats for like actual, like full on grooming. I'll do some nail trims mm -hmm. and every now and then a bath. Um, I was taught in my training that if a cat is panting, that mm -hmm. that is an emergency. And that means all grooming stops. And if it doesn't, if the panting doesn't stop after the grooming has stopped, that then it needs to go to an ER. Is that what you would I, recommend as well? I would, yeah, I would agree with that. Um, cats will pant when they're stressed out. So it could just be anxiety. So exactly as you said, you stop what you're doing, you give them a second. If, if they calm down, you're probably fine. But the thing, the reason why I treat this as, as so urgent and so important is because animals will try to hide the symptoms of whatever it is that's wrong with them for as long as they can. So by the time they're showing signs of struggling with breathing or, or, you know, whatever the problem is, it's been going on for longer than you realize the, their yeah. natural instinct is to look normal, to act normal for as long as they can keep it up. Because in the wild, you show any sign of being sick or frail or vulnerable and you get eaten. Yeah. So they, they don't want to portray any, any signs that there's anything wrong with them. And it can be very deceptive. Uh, so with with the, the difficulty breathing, especially with cats, cats don't handle any kind of respiratory distress very well at all. Yeah. And by the time, whether it's a cat or a dog, by the time, if they're having trouble breathing, by the time you put them in a carrier or throw them in the car and drive them to the vet, now they can't breathe and they're stressed out and they're freaked mm -hmm. out and they're hyperventilating and it's getting worse by the minute. So do not wait and see, because by the time you even realize that there's a problem, it is way worse than you know it is. So Very good. That, is, that is to be treated with, uh, with absolute priority. Any, any kind of breathing distress needs to be taken care of right away. Now, again, you know, there's never an all or a <laughs> yes or no. Uh, so if you have a cat and it's been diagnosed with asthma and you see that it's coughing or it's starting to breathe and you have medication that you can use for that cat, then do, you know, give the treatment, but pay attention and make sure that everything calms down. Um, so I, I don't want to say that, you know, everybody should drop what they're doing in panic. If you already know what the situation is, 
sure. and you have a remedy for it. Well, um, and even but, in that you know, kind of case, you might run into a new complication that you weren't aware of. So if you attempt to give the known treatment mm-hmm. and it's not working or the problem is right. getting worse then that would still, I'm assuming, warrant a Absolutely. trip to the ER. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, sometimes they need to be in oxygen, especially the thing that, that you, you used to keep me up at night was all these little dogs out there with heart murmurs that... Mm-hmm. The owners, uh, you know, they, I, I tell you, not a week would go by that somebody didn't come busting through the doors in the ER carrying their unconscious pet that was in overt heart failure with fluid pouring out of its lungs, gums blue, taking its last breath. And 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 they, they would tell me that, you know, the, the dog had a heart murmur, but we were just watching it. Well, you, you just watched your dog go into heart failure, you know, because yeah. and, and through no fault of their own, it was probably downplayed when, when it was first detected, maybe it was a mild heart murmur. So it didn't seem important, but there may not have been a conversation at the time about, okay, this is what you need to watch for. This is, we need, we need to examine your dog more frequently to make sure that things aren't progressing. And if sure. you see X, Y, and Z things, you need to take it very seriously and, and, and have it reevaluated. So, you know, I don't, I don't blame the, the pet owners at all because they only know what, what they've been educated by from, from their veterinarians and, and sure. the veterinary nurses. But um, yeah, so things may be mild when they are first detected, but they, you know, most illnesses that we know about will progress with time. So it's very important, no matter what is, is your pet's condition. If it, if it has a condition, it's very important to know what do I need to be paying attention to? What do I need to be watching for? What should I have available in case of an emergency, especially if it's night or weekend or a holiday when my regular vet's not open. Yeah. Cause it always seems like the terrible stuff happens. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's when people are home. Exactly. (laughs) And then there's like the I mean, we just got through the holidays, so I'm thinking of, you know, out of town visitors that haven't seen the dog in a while. So they might be a little less used to some of the things that kind of creep in over time. I think I feel like that helps kind of push people to recognize that something is off a little bit when almost like if you see somebody that you Mm -hmm. haven't seen in a while and, oh, you've lost weight kind of thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We I, I think denial is a very powerful force. And when, when something is changing by tiny degrees over a very long period of time, it's easy to kind of tell yourself a story about, Oh, you know, just getting older, everything's okay. You know, it's, you know, nothing to worry about. And just, as you said, somebody comes and they haven't seen your pet for a year and they're like, Oh my God, look at all the weight they've lost. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's better to be informed so if, if you're kind of talking yourself out of maybe, you know, there's probably not anything seriously wrong, don't, don't guess, just, just go get it checked out and find out. Sure. Absolutely. So I have, I think what I hope will be a little bit more lighthearted one. And that is, <laughs> <laughs> this is also one that has happened. Uh, it happened to grace our listener tales episodes as well. What do you do? What do you recommend for marijuana ingestion in a mm. pet? Yes, uh, we've had a lot of that lately with the holidays. Yeah. People coming to uh, new houses and not not being accustomed to keeping their stuff away from pets. 
So it, it just really depends on how much is absorbed for the pet's body weight. Okay. So a smaller dog that eats a small amount of marijuana is, is potentially going to be at higher risk than a bigger dog um, that may just have milder symptoms. So the first thing that they, they usually do is they'll start to get this kind of spacey look on their face. <laughs> yeah. They might be a little jumpy. Like if you, you they see a hand moving around their face, they kind of startle a little bit. Um, they will often lose control of their bladder. So they'll just kind of leak the urine. The thing that we worry about, however, is that the heart rate can drop down below a safe level. And okay. so that is, again, the smaller the dog the higher the risk because of the amount per per pound of body weight that they get absorbed. So if, if you come home and your dog has gotten into your stash and you know, this just happened in the last 15 minutes, the safest thing to do would be to, to induce vomiting just to, to not have to sit there and freak out about it all night. Is it going to be okay? Is it not going to be okay? Am I going to have to go to the emergency clinic? So if it's a recent ingestion, just, just get it out of there. And sure. um, if, you need to induce vomiting at home. Hydrogen peroxide is something that most people have around their house. Um, it's not my first choice, but in an emergency, you got to do what you got to do, right? So um, sure. one tablespoon per 10 pounds of body weight up to a maximum of three tablespoons total. So no more than three tablespoons at any one time. If they don't vomit within 20 minutes, you can repeat the same dose one time only. If they still haven't vomited, I'd be surprised if they hadn't vomited, but if, it's, if they still haven't vomited, it's probably time to go to that clinic and have them give um, an, an emetic agent. Sure. Mm-hmm. I always have the problem. I've, I have a couple of older dogs that get very creative about getting into any and every kind of trash that they can find. And yeah. uh, the most recent one, I can't even remember what it was. It was a, a bunch of candy and it didn't have any of like the xylitol in it. So we weren't worried about toxicity, but uh, I think we were worried about blockage with all of the uh, the, wrappers. the wrappers. Yeah. yeah. So we were told to induce vomiting and oh my God, it took like five different tries just to get the older dogs to swallow the hydrogen peroxide. So yeah, I'm trying to, <laughs> no, and it's just like leaking out the other side of their mouth. So it can be really hard yes. to tell how much they're actually getting down each time. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's not super reliable for that exact reason. You know, yeah. if, if you're not cooperative or, you know, God forbid some people, their dog might actually try to bite them. Not every dog is, is going to be cooperative for something like that. So if if you're not sure that it, the dog's actually swallowing it or if you're afraid that your dog might bite you, the safest thing to do is just take it to the vet and have it done there. Absolutely. All righty. My next one is another one that I learned about in uh, grooming school, and that is eye injuries. I was always told if it's an eye, that's an immediate trip to the ER. With the exception of just like regular, like watery eyes. Yeah. Watery eyes, because, because the cornea, the, the clear part of the eye, because it is clear, there can be a scratch or an ulcer that you can't see with the naked eye. And we have to put a special stain on it to be able to tell if there has been any damage. Mm -hmm. So anytime anything happens to the eye, it's going to water. Right. Mm -hmm. But what what I would probably tell people as maybe a way that they can determine is this something that that needs urgent attention or not 
is, you know, if the eye is wide open and it's not visibly red, but it's watering, you know, sometimes they'll have allergies or, mm-hmm. or they'll get, you know, a hair in their eye or something like that. And it's no big deal. It should go away in a short period of time. If they're squinting, if they're like really like scrunching their eyelids shut, if it looks red or cloudy, um, okay. that needs to be tended to immediately. Or if there's been any kind of impact, you know, if mm-hmm. there's been um, um, like a, a physical impact to the eye, that should, that like, should definitely be. And like the, the, uh, like the green or yellow eye goop, and I'm assuming is another emergency as well. Not necessarily if okay. if they're holding the eye wide open. So that could just be conjunctivitis. That that okay. could be a respiratory infection. You know, any anything like that. But you know what we worry about when it's like a sticky green or yellow discharge. Sometimes the eyelid can actually get like caked shut, mm-hmm. and then all that infection gets sealed up in there, and then you can see ulceration. Worst case scenario, we've actually seen eyeballs rupture. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, with, with an eyeball, I, I never want anyone to take, you know, any chances. If you're sure. not sure, have it, have it looked at. Cause okay. sometimes don't get a second chance to fix that. If it, if it goes beyond the point of no return. Sure. Now, what about ear infections? I see those all the time yeah. of varying degrees. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably one of the most common issues that we see. It's not, it's not a life and death emergency. But we also, you know, if it goes on long enough, it can, it can rupture the eardrum Then you can mm-hmm. get a middle ear infection. Then you can get vertigo or they, they get dizzy and it's like, it's like having um, motion sickness. Yeah. So if it's, you know, if, 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 if the ear is just red and there's some, some brown waxy discharge in there, but the, the animal's not showing any signs of, of having balance problems, they're not like holding their head off to one side or anything like that. That could probably wait till the next day to see your regular vet. Um, if you're seeing any signs of dizziness, wobbliness, loss of balance, um, or if you touch around that area and there, there's the dog reacts painfully. Mm-hmm. If it's like a yellow discharge, yellowish white that looks more like pus, mm-hmm. that should be taken very seriously. Dark brown, that's most of the time it's a yeast infection. It's unpleasant, but that can be taken care of pretty easily the following day. If it looks okay. like pus, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't wait. Okay. And that leads in pretty well to, um, to another problem that I see fairly often. And that's like the, um, the hematomas on the tips of the ears, mm-hmm. which for listeners is essentially, I always describe it as like a giant blood blister that happens yeah. because of trauma to the ear or like a cutoff of blood circulation and then a sudden return of blood circulation. Yes. Ear hematomas usually happen because a blood vessel in the ear flap has burst Mm -hmm. and usually because they've been shaking their head so much or they've been scratching. Mm -hmm. So that is often a sign that there's an ear infection that probably started it. But the hematoma itself, so it, it, what, what happens is that the, the blood collects in between the layers of the ear. So you have, you have skin on each side and you have cartilage in the middle. Mm -hmm. And so as the blood starts to fill up that space, it kind of makes the skin puff out. And so it will, it'll have uh, like a thick, warm feel to it. It'll, it'll feel like it has some weight to it. Um, And if, if that is not corrected and if if you just let it heal by itself, it usually heals like all crinkled up like a cauliflower ear. Mm -hmm. So it's not, 
a true emergency in the sense that you have to rush them right in. You, you have a couple of days to, to take care of that. But an ear hematoma is usually a sign that there's an ear infection that caused it in the first place that has now escalated because there's a broken blood vessel. So okay. it's, it's, I would say it is of concern, but it is not necessarily a reason to run into the ER in the middle of the night. Now, if they, uh, if the collected blood, if it starts to like burst open and it's leaking, is that, oh, you okay? I've never seen that happen. Really? I have hmm. a few times. Uh, it's, it's only ever happened in dogs that have gotten the hematoma from uh, grooming where the dog's ears were matted so badly that it was like cutting off the circulation. And then once you shave off the matting, all of the blood like rushes to the tip of the ear and then the dog's feeling all wonky. So they keep shaking their head. They keep scratching mm-hmm. their ears and mm-hmm. then it'll bust open either from the shaking. Yeah. The more they shake, the more damage mm-hmm. they do. Now that's an excellent point you bring up because if there's so much hair matting, the hair is basically comp- compressing the ear. Yeah. And so even though maybe they had broken that blood vessel a few days ago, there's pressure on it. Mm-hmm. So when that pressure is not there anymore, then, then as you said, the, the blood basically fills up the whole ear. So, yeah, I mean, anytime you see blood, that, that's a reason to, to bring the animal into the ER. That's usually a good policy. Yeah. <laughs> and my next question was going to be, if you see like blood or your blood in urine or stool that, I mean, I always freak out if I see that. So I am yeah. on the phone with the vet before the dogs even finish going. <laughs> yeah. Blood is not normal for sure. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little bit more of an urgency when we're talking about a male dog or a male mm-hmm. cat because the urethra, the tube that they urinate through, is much more narrow than it is in females. So if there is a stone or some sort of like a mucus plug or something like that, they can get obstructed very easily. Mm-hmm. And so any, you know, ab- absolutely anytime you see blood in the urine, whether it's a male or female dog or cat, that that needs to be taken care of urgently. But with females, there's a little bit less likelihood of obstruction just because of the size of the urethra being larger, but it does happen. I've had to pull stones out of female dog urethras mm-hmm. before. So there's, it's never always, it's never, it's not, it's never, never, it's never always, <laughs> but um, it's, it, blood is usually something to pay attention to. Sure. And Along with that is also like straining to urinate. That's a a big, big one, especially again in mm-hmm. the males. Yeah. So more, more concerning in males, mm-hmm. but straining can also be something that happens just with inflammation. So if you just have a regular run of the mill bladder infection, mm-hmm. your bladder feels like it's on fire. And even one or two drops of urine, it burns so bad. You just feel like you have to go all the time. So that's where Mm -hmm. the straining comes from. The problem is that most people don't have the ability to palpate their dog's bladder and be able to tell whether it's empty or full. Straining with an empty bladder is probably a bladder infection and it's just from from inflammation. Mm -hmm. Straining with a full bladder, that's an obstruction and that's an emergency. But most people can't tell the difference. So don't, okay. don't take a chance, whether it's a boy or a girl, you see straining, you see blood, take them to have them looked at. Absolutely. I lo- unfortunately, uh, about a year and a half ago, I lost a ferret that way. He mm-hmm. uh, had developed some stones in mm-hmm. his older age and couldn't pass urine. So yes, 
it can become life-threatening if they have that blockage. Uh, the bladder can burst if I'm given to understand properly. Yeah, my that's actually the reason that I became a veterinarian when I was a little girl. My first pet cat developed a bladder obstruction, and I begged my parents to take him to the vet for three days. They ignored me. By the time they finally took him in, it was too late, and it was it was a bladder obstruction from that exact same thing. Oh wow, I'm so sorry. That's yeah, that's a traumatic too. way to start. <laughs> It was, it was very traumatic. That cat was my only friend. I had no siblings. I had no human friends because we moved around so much. So that cat was my whole world, you know? Yeah. But, uh, you know, looking, looking back after all these years, I, I, I guess I tell myself that his death wasn't in vain because that's what made me decide to become a veterinarian. Absolutely. He left you as his legacy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> All right. So another one that I feel I get a lot of stories from my vet med friends is a sudden lack of appetite or like an ongoing lack of appetite. Yeah. So I don't know if, if your pet has been otherwise healthy and like just suddenly doesn't want to eat their breakfast one day. I don't, I don't know that that is something I would get super worked up about unless there is some other type of health concern. Like if your pet's diabetic, mm -hmm. don't wait. I mean, the first sign that something's wrong, you don't wait with a diabetic. Sure. If, you're, if your pet has kidney disease and doesn't want to eat anymore, um, that, that probably needs intervention. So, so I guess I'm, I'm, I'm thinking more along the lines of an animal that doesn't really have any known preexisting health problems. Sure. And they just decide one day that they don't want to eat. Everybody has a bad day. It's sure. And animals eat things that we don't know about. You know, I just <laughs> opened my, I opened my guest bathroom door the other day. I hadn't been in there for a few weeks and there was this dead dehydrated little lizard on the floor oh. in there. My cat swooped in out of nowhere like Batman, scooped the thing up and ate it like before I could get it away from him. So oh, who wow. knows how much of that stuff is happening when I'm sleeping or in another room and I don't know what the heck he's up to. So fair. a little bit of stomach upset here and there is probably not a big deal. But if, if it's going on for more than 24 hours or if you're seeing any other symptoms of, of something uh, or God forbid, if, if the pet is not eating long enough that they're actually starting to lose weight. Mm -hmm. um, vomiting all all of that is to be taken seriously okay very good and what about like a a sudden onset onset limp in a dog that hasn't had any other issue or or cat i should say in a mm -hmm. cat that hasn't had any other issues or even like a known um injury that like oh he fell yeah. off the chair the other day or something right. like that yeah so limping is not a life and death thing. So in, in the strictest sense of what is an emergency, that probably mm -hmm. doesn't qualify. Um, however, when it becomes time sensitive is if there is some sort of like a dislocation. Like, for example, if you have an accident and the, the pet has dislocated its hip, mm -hmm. fell off the top shelf of, you know, whatever. So you have ideally less than 12 hours to put that hip back in place before there's so much inflammation and scar tissue that you can't get it back in. Oh, so okay. that, that is time sensitive, but again, it's not a life and death emergency. Um, if it's, you know, strain muscle, there's a, a, you know, sometimes they run on the hot pavement and they get little blisters on their foot pads, you know, the, those types of things. So it, it's really hard 
it's hard to say like what is something that's worthy of a trip to the vet when you don't know what caused it. If you, sure. if you, you know, for using the example of the dislocation, those are intensely painful. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if your pet is limping and you move all the joints in the leg and they don't react, it could just be a muscle strain and it's probably not an urgent middle of the night run to the run to the clinic kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. you can take them in when, when you can, as soon as possible. Um, but if they're obviously, if there's something broken or dislocated, they are going to scream bloody murder. If you touch the area that's hurting, yeah. that's, that's a reason to take them to the ER. All right. Well, thank you. Um, do you have any other scenarios that you'd like to, I, I don't know what, what you saw more commonly. And if I missed any, do you have any other scenarios you'd like to shed oh, some light on? I think you did a pretty good job covering <laughs> most of, most of the gamut. Um, I, I would say at least 50% of, of the types of cases that we would see in the ER were just vomiting or diarrhea or not eating. Okay. So that, that was probably one of the most common reasons that people would come in. Um, any type of a wound, a bite wound, especially people think, oh, I'll just put some peroxide, some neosporin on it and it'll be okay. And then three days later you have this giant oozing abscess and you have to go Mm -hmm. in and have this drain put in and it just turns into a big thing. So bite wounds, uh, any type of laceration or puncture injuries, those are all best taken care of as soon as possible. Because what happens, especially with, with a smaller puncture, it's pushing bacteria and debris underneath the skin. And then it's a small hole, like a bite wound mm-hmm. or, or, or like a thorn puncture, the hole seals up. So now all that stuff is sealed below the surface and it's a perfect little Petri dish for bacteria to grow in there and it's spreading and it's tunneling its way into whatever it can get into. And by the time it bursts open, it's, it's a disgusting pussy mess. It's like an iceberg. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just don't even, don't, don't even mess with it. A bite wound should always be seen immediately, especially if it's uh, an animal outside and you don't know if it was a wild animal or Mm -hmm. the neighbor's cat or whatever, um, you know, there could be disease transmission involved. So you always want to make sure that your pets are up to date on their vaccinations. Sure. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a big, uh, fan of people letting their animals roam around unsupervised anyway. Sure. Because, you know, 24 years in the ER, you see what can happen. Oh yeah, definitely. Well, and I think it's pretty safe to say, speaking of that, if your animal gets bitten or, scratched up in a tussle with a stray or wild animal that that's pretty much always going to be a a pretty pretty solid uh go to the er and then also if you have cats or dogs that are able to roam free and they are perhaps hit by a car or something then that would obviously be another you need to go to the er 100 percent Mm-hmm. The other thing that I would probably add to the list is with like the possible exception of like, if you have an older pet and you know, they have arthritis and their hips are bad. Mm-hmm. So they, they maybe have a little bit of a hard time getting up after they've been laying down and they're a little bit wobbly. Um, if you see that your pet is starting to get wobbly on their feet mm-hmm. um, and you don't know for sure that this is because they have arthritis or this isn't something that you have seen before, um, that that is always to be taken seriously because again animals they they try to hide the signs of their illness for as long as they can by the time they're having a hard time keeping their balance things are probably way 
far down the road and you just maybe didn't pick up on it, but don't, don't wait and see when, when you see wobbly or stumbling or like a drunken gait. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a great one as well. Uh, and another one that unfortunately we've had some personal experience with recently, my, my mother's dog had a, uh, vestibular stroke and Mm -hmm. that was the main symptom is he just all of a sudden was like all wobbly and almost drunk looking. Yeah. Those can be pretty dramatic because sometimes if it it can be so bad, like they literally can't tell which way is up and they'll just do what we call gator rolling. Mm, Okay. Flip and flip and flip. And they, they have absolutely no idea what's going on. They can't tell if they're right side up or upside down very distressing for them and sure. you know when anytime an animal is terrified they're going to pee they're going to poo they're you know they may vomit so it's uh it, it it's very distressing for the animal it's also very distressing for a person to watch them of course kind of go through that absolutely well, thank you so much for You're all welcome. of the expertise. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you on the show. And I'd love to give you the opportunity now to plug all of the places where listeners can find you. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Well, probably the easiest place is my website, which is nolimitscoachingnow.com. Okay. And I just recently, I made a little um, hidden stress quiz because I think we all can identify like the big obvious things that cause us to have stress in our lives, but there's some sneakier things that maybe are sneaking in under the radar that are making a lot of us a lot more stressed out than we have to be. So I would invite your listeners to go check that out. There's links also to schedule a free 30 minute session with me if they have anything that they would like to talk about. Okay. Um, As far as social media, I'm on LinkedIn under my name, Natalie Feynman and my Facebook uh, my my Facebook account is also under my name, Natalie Feynman. Yeah. So All those, right. those are my two main social media platforms. I'll make sure to link those in the show notes as well so that yeah. listeners can find you very easily. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you so very much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you sharing. Oh, my your pleasure. Years, years my pleasure. And if I could leave your audience with a parting thought, your veterinarian is probably stressed out and exhausted. Please, next time you have a visit with your veterinarian, take a moment and just tell them what a great job they're doing and how much you appreciate them because we don't hear that enough. I love it. Thank you so very much. Welcome. So everybody, thank your veterinarian today. <laughs> and tip your All waiters. Right. <laughs> yes, always. <laughs> And again, a huge thank you to Dr. Natalie Feynman for coming on the show and telling us all a little bit more about how to make sure our pets are safe, happy, and healthy. Now, if any of the listeners would like to make sure that they get to continue to hear this kind of wonderful, educational, uplifting content, give us a like and a follow. If you've got an extra 20 to 30 seconds or so, Give us a review on whatever platform you listen to. It really helps to uh, bring more listeners and just kind of get us a little bit more attention. And remember, too, you can follow us on social media. You can find us at All for Animals Pod on Facebook and, uh, let's see, and, and YouTube. And then we are All for Animals Podcast on Instagram and we're All for Animals Pod on TikTok as well. Thanks, you guys. I'll see you there.